Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Texas and Oklahoma escape big scares from new Big 12 members. And also, a star is born. I think Ollie Gordon is still running somewhere in the hills of West Virginia. Oklahoma State has a running back of the future, of the present, and maybe the best offensive player in the league. Also, K-State way back on track with a hammering of TCU. And BYU gets a win over a remaining Big 12 member. A whole lot to get to from this weekend in Big 12 football. This is, is the winner's circle here on the Neighborhood Watch. I'm your host, Josh Neighbors, part of Crystal Ball College Football, part of the 365 Sports Network. Make sure you guys find us wherever you get your podcast and here on YouTube as well. If you're here on the YouTubes, like the video, subscribe to the channel. It's the one thing that really helps this show grow, and we need it to grow. Tell your friends the best Big 12 content out there right now. Follow us on Twitter. That's important as well, too, at Josh Neighbors underscore. You guys can find me at NWPod365. On that front, let you all know, another really strong week for us. Every Saturday morning, I tweet out my Big 12 best bets, the bread truck picks that we call them. This week, another really strong week. We were 4-2, and two, the wins. Baylor, uh, plus 3. Houston, plus 23.5. K-State, minus 6. And then BYU, plus 3. Uh, the only one of those that did not win outright was Houston, but obviously you're giving me that many points. They covered with ease. That puts us at, uh, on the season at, let's see, it was 20 and 15 end of the week, four into this week. So we are 24 and 17 overall on the year. That is against the spread. So making you all a little bit of cash if you all are following those picks. I uh, had a lot of fun doing those. But the only place you can get them every, every single week is on X slash Twitter. So at Josh Neighbors underscore is where you must be following to get my Big 12 best bets every single Saturday morning before action kicks off. So I think nationally the story is going to be Oklahoma and Texas escaping narrowly with wins because those are the two Big 12 teams at the top of the league right now. But I think it's most important for us to start off with what we saw at Oklahoma State. Because I think the big story of this Saturday to me, especially when it comes to K-State and Oklahoma State, is better quality programs, better quality, the best quality of coach shining through, right? Mike Gundy, to me, heading into the year, was the best coach in the entire Big 12 conference, okay? There was no doubt, uh, no doubt about that in my mind. And then... You go through the season, like what happened at Oklahoma State was so odd. And them not picking quarterback, you can go back to last year with Spencer Sanders out the door. That was odd. And you spin it forward to this season, and things are odd when they go with three quarterbacks. And they have to grind out a win against, no, I know Washington did too, but like a grind out a win against a bad Arizona State team. It turns out now, I mean, Oklahoma State should be a you know considerable bit better than Arizona State is, right? So they're able to grind out that win. But against South Alabama, things went real sideways real fast. Then against Iowa State, things were sideways as well. And they really were asking themselves some questions. 
and Alan Bowman's the guy, which I, you know, I think the one thing I got wrong was they didn't need a certain guy. Like I was saying, I think Rangel should be the guy. You should see what you have in the future. I was wrong about that. I think, look, who knows how Garrett Rangel would have played. But what makes sense for them is like they picked the oldest guy. And that does make a lot of sense, right? Alan Bowman has been playing college football for a long time. He had been in the Big 12. He went to Michigan. He wanted to play in his final year. He came to Oklahoma State and it did. It took him past camp. And I think we know why. Like, it's not like Alan Bowman's lighting up the board, but this is a guy that eventually won the job and his age and experience paid off for him. A guy who's been playing college football since 2018 at his third school. And look, you look at the season numbers for him, guys. Uh, he is, let's see, uh, 58%, round up 59%, nearly 1,300 yards, six touchdowns four interceptions. And uh, the big thing too is guys, he's only taking four sacks. Uh, that's offensive line. It's also Alan Bowman is not putting Oklahoma state a lot of the time in really terrible situations. So that's big too. The other big thing, and it should not have taken me this long to get here, but now we're here. Ollie Gordon is an absolute star. This is a guy that in the modern sense, we talk about the modern running backs at Oklahoma state, your Jalen Warren's, your Chuba Hubbards, your Justice Hills, right? Out of the modern running backs that they have had at Oklahoma State, this guy is the best. This guy is the most talented. This guy is delivering. He is just 19 years old, folks. I know Warren was a transfer coming in, obviously, but uh, we saw it with Ollie last year. And what we saw yesterday against West Virginia from a 19-year-old, guys, this guy has got everything you could want. Tremendous vision, size, strength, speed, athleticism, wiggle, burst, every single adjective that you would describe a running back, an excellent running back with, Ali seems to have. And his Big 12 campaign, he is putting together to me, there's no doubt about this. He has been the best offensive player in this league in conference play. You look at what happened for Ollie Gordon yesterday. 29 carries, 282 yards, four touchdowns. He was getting big first downs. He was getting explosive runs. He was scoring touchdowns. He was moving the chains. He was, you know, getting, uh, especially like scoring touchdowns. I mean, they were pivotal touchdowns. Like these were the, the scores that were keeping West Virginia out of reach, especially after that muff punt. You know, West Virginia was was kind of putting the heat on there a little bit and say, all right, you got you to keep scoring. You can't just lay down now. And Ollie was delivering. And you go back to the Iowa State game, right? Or even go back before that. Against South Alabama, Arizona State, and Central Arkansas, Ollie had three, nine, and seven carries. You add those all together, quick maths in your head. That is a total of 19. He had two catches, two catches, two catches. So six catches in those two games. So 19 plus six, 25, right? 25 touches in the first three games. Now, it was not like he was being incredibly productive and crazy productive, but I, I still think, you know, uh, this is a workhorse type back here. 6'1", 2'11". Maybe a little bit bigger than that. I don't even know where he's at right now. Running back, uh, obviously, your weight kind of fluctuates this season, whether, hey, you're dinged up or you're practicing as much. It's a position, though, it's pretty demanding. So, you know, you're going to lose some weight. And if you're, if you're in really good shape, like, like a guy like Ollie Gordon seems to be in tremendous shape, you never know what's going to happen there. Um, but you look at his Big 12 campaign, 18 for 121, 
against Iowa State. 21 for 136 in a score against K-State. 29 for 168 in a score on the ground against Kansas. 6 for 116 in a score receiving against KU as well. He was the difference, obviously, for their offense. And then today, on the road, 29 carries, 282, four scores. No catches. They didn't need that. That didn't have to be a part of their offense. Ollie Gordon receiving the ball out of the backfield. But there's no doubt, and he has left no doubt, that he is a star. And Alan Bowman, really at this point in time, just needs to play Spencer Sanders in 2021. That's kind of where this thing is headed right now. I don't know if Ollie is that good to where they can ride. And like I'm saying, you know, uh, Ollie in context of the team, like can Oklahoma State ride Ollie Gordon to a Big 12 title game appearance? I don't know. I'm skeptical of that. Could Oklahoma State very well ride Ollie Gordon all the way to a eight, maybe even nine win season? Yeah, that's possible. Oklahoma State is five and two. And I said it, I, I said it, I tweeted out yesterday. I will say it here. If you have kids in the car or whatever, I've got, I've got no other way to describe this. And I feel like you all appreciate my honesty. Uh, what Mike Gundy was doing in September was dog shit. It was dog shit. Those performances back to back against Iowa state before we knew Iowa state might be decent and the home game, especially against South Alabama and a lot of what we saw in the game against ASU and parts of what we saw against central Arkansas we're not up to the standard of what we are used to seeing from a Mike Gundy team. This is the standard. This is why Mike Gundy is the best coach in the Big 12. 48-34, a big win over West Virginia. And guys, they have just beaten consecutively teams that are definitely top half teams. They beat K-State by eight. It could have been more. They beat KU by seven on a day where KU's quarterback throws for five touchdowns. and. They win 48-34. They were the better team in the margins. That muff punt there late in the game was big. Your star player was making all of the big plays. And also, too, you're able to keep them out of, star, uh, of arm's reach later on in the game. You capitalized when you needed to, and you rode a terrific performance to victory. And those are three really good teams they've beaten. In two weeks, folks, we're going to get a pretty big answer to the question of, okay, how good can this thing be? Oklahoma took a scare today. They come to town in two weeks. Cincinnati's next week. Got to get through that first. But we might have a situation where an early bedlam features 6-2 Oklahoma State, who is riding a four-game winning streak, who has got maybe the hottest offensive player, not just in this conference, folks, but maybe even in the country. Like, it's say Penix, whatever you want to, but that train got derailed last night. There is no one player across the country playing better football right now in any conference than Ollie Gordon. And Oklahoma State, very smartly, is riding him to victory and has been doing it in their last three games. Oklahoma State is a Big 12 title contender because they still, to me, have the best coach in the league, and they have the best offensive player in the league right now. And he looks, you know, as many carries as he's getting, he looks fresh. He looks excited. The team looks energized. And they are blocking up front for my guy right now. So, Ollie Gordon 
has completely, in my opinion, and if he plays like this, it's, you know, it's going to be tough to do. I think at some point, yeah, we're going to need Alan Bowman to really come out of his shell, but he played really well last week. But, um, you know, right now, the way that this team seems to be believing, right? And I mean, believing, I mean, like the, the, the result on the field is a manifestation of, okay, we know what we are. It maybe took a, you know, a circuitous route to do it. As I said, they were dog shit in September, but Vince Lombardi has come out here in October. I've been very impressed with Mike Gundy and crew have done. And I know Casey Dunn has taken a lot of heat, but he and Gundy are pushing all the right buttons right now on the offensive side of things. I think that has to be acknowledged as well. All right, let's go. So uh, Oklahoma State, five and two. And now let's see in the league, they are what? Three and one. So uh, boom, back in Big 12, Big 12 title contention, right? And do you, do you want to be effing with Mike Gundy right now? I don't know that you do. All right, so also uh, talk about programs and coaches showing up. And this is why I want to highlight this right here. Kansas State. 41 TCU three also guys it's crazy TCU is not at a bye week yet they've already played eight games two-thirds of TCU seasons over and that's actually a story for a lot of teams there are a lot of teams out there that have already played eight games which to me is crazy right I mean you know the fact that we're already October 22nd you're two-thirds of the way through but last night 41 to three. This was one-way traffic. This game was never close. And to me, this was about a program a program in Kansas state that the quarterback situation last year, right? I I talked about this last week and I'll talk about this again. So last year we saw a really good example of discovering who the right quarterback was. And it took an injury to do that team last year with Cade Warner at tight end and Ben Sennett and Deuce Vaughn and the receiving core with Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks Last year's Kansas State team needed a guy like Will Howard because Will Howard is a distributor and they've got playmakers all over the place and we got to get those guys the football, right? And that's not Adrian Martinez's bag. But everything everyone had to say about Martinez who dealt with injuries and dealt with basically losing his job, for lack of a better term, said that he handled it with class and was a really good leader. And everybody also said that Will Howard stepped in and grew into that leadership role. Let's spin that forward to this season where Will Howard is now under attack. You know, his his starting position is under attack, you could say. And this team does not have Malik Knowles, and there is not Cade Warner, and there is not Deuce Vaughn. And their best uh, game is is a running game. It's a rushing attack. Uh, I think with this offensive line and these backs and Avery Johnson and even Will Howard that we saw last night, maybe that is the best strategy for them. And so I think Will Howard knows his job is somewhat in jeopardy too, but Will Howard is a Big 12 championship winning quarterback. Everybody says he is a leader. And, you know, I think much like Aaron, like Aaron Rodgers, you can tell right now, I think also you can tell what happened with Jordan Love and especially with Zach Wilson, you know, uh, he doesn't feel threatened or whatever, but like we always talk about how Favre really was an asshole to to our guy Aaron Rodgers. Not saying our guy, but you know, to Aaron Rodgers. And I think that did rub off on Aaron. And like I think he has tried at least the best of his ability not to be like that. And I think in a positive way, Will Howard saw the leadership that that uh, that Martinez displayed last year, and learns and and knows that he is a leader on the team. And I think that. 
what we saw last night on the side, like everybody is supporting each other. Everybody is pulling on the same road. Both guys had really strong evenings last night. Will Howard, 10 of 16 for 154 and three scores. Avery Johnson, 5 of 10 for 90 yards and a touchdown. They ran for 343 on the ground. They also ran for a score as well. Uh, Jace Brown, it was nice to see him obviously get involved uh, you know, as a freshman and get involved in the passing game. Maybe they have a, a new wide receiver emerging. Their defense was flying around the field. And so, like, their defense does deserve most of the credit in this game. But I do want to mention how I think Chris Kleiman and the program as itself displaying the fact that, look, like, is K-State, you know, kind of in the spot where they're leveling up and getting better? But no, but this is this they're maintaining right now. And they slipped up earlier in the year, but because they have mature players, like they have got a mature quarterback in Will Howard. And Avery Johnson, I don't know about his maturity yet, right? But they've got old guys in the offensive line. They have guys that have been around playing football at K-State and other places as well for a while now. And they have seemed to done a really they've done a really good job kind of taking the leadership of Howard, but also integrating the spark. And that is that is that is cohesion. That is leadership. From both players and coaches, K-State's 5-2 and two and 3-1 and one in the league. They are, once again, right back into that conversation of Big 12 title contender. And so here's the thing, guys. As we've turned the page, and we'll talk more about the losing teams uh, later on, but as we turn the page right now from October or, you know, uh, like mid-October to late October here on October 22nd, you know, uh, who are the teams right now that are elevating, that are ascending in the league? Oklahoma State. Uh, uh, K State, who's coaching those schools, and also I've got to give Matt Campbell a lot of credit too, right? Their ascension came a little earlier, but like, who are these schools ascending? Who are they coached by? Matt Campbell, uh, Mike Gundy, Chris Kleiman, right? These are known quantity coaches. I know Mike Gundy hasn't won a lot of big, you know, we talk about knock on him, you know, not winning big a lot of big 12 championships, obviously. Um, but like. The, the year after year success, Matt Campbell getting the most, doing the most with the least, right? And Chris Kleiman kind of taking that Bill Snyder model and really, you know, I, I would say polishing it off in some ways and kind of bringing it forward. And they're getting dynamic guys like Avery Johnson in there. They've got dynamic players. You know, and Avery's, a, Avery's a, a high caliber recruit, right? So that's big, obviously, getting him in there. But still getting the most out of your Deuce Vaughns, developing a Will Howard. And so I've got a lot of questions about X's and O's, how it looks for K-State the rest of the way. But TCU is a pretty average outfit, and they hammered that ass. <laughs> they took them behind the woodshed, and they beat the hell out of them. And so you look at what the losses are for this year for K-State, guys. They're narrow. They lost by three at Missouri in a game where Will Howard gets banged up. And Missouri is a really good football team, it turns out. You lost by three on the road thing, you know, due to a long field goal. Sorry. And then it turns out you lost to a pretty good Oklahoma State team as well. And so actually, I would, I would love to see these two teams play if they keep on this trajectory play again here soon. That Friday night game was really exciting between the two of them. The execution from K-State was not there. I thought both teams left a little bit on the table in that game in terms of, you know, you can always be better. You always can improve. I thought both teams left a lot on the table in that game. So to me, uh, K state five and two at uh, three and one in the league, like ascensions happening there. The offense was great. And the defense 
really did make Josh Huber think and struggle. They moved the ball a little bit, but the big thing was, you know, they had 300 yards total offense. Uh, getting off the field on third down was easy, and they made a young quarterback chase the game. That was huge, making a young quarterback chase the game. This game was not won on third down. This game, they decided whether it was going to be close or not on third down. TCU, 2 of 13. K-State, 10 of 13. That's the story of the game. That's why this game was a boat race, as they say. All right, let's get to the two big dogs in the league right now. So Texas is tied with other teams, obviously, with one loss. But they saw their Big 12 lives flashing before their eyes yesterday. Able to get the win. Texas improves to 6-1, and 3-1 and one overall. But it was a real doozy of a game. 31-24 against Houston. Texas takes a 21-point lead. Houston storms back, and it's a 21-all contest. Now, what I have to say is, this game reminded me a lot of last year's game between Texas Tech and Texas, right? Texas takes an early lead on the road, but they give it back. Can they manage? Can they maintain? And things were dicey for them. But what I will say is they got the job done, all right? They did. Against a quarterback in Donovan Smith, who made the critical mistake of throwing an interception, right? Uh, I thought I think Donovan's been playing some awesome football. Texas, sometimes you, you like to be lucky. You know, let, let's be honest about this. Uh, it looked like Houston had a first down there in that fourth quarter. Um, I think it's a situation where the booth has to review that, but we didn't get an answer on that. And I think it was Stacy Sneed who got either Parker Jenkins or Stacy Sneed get that first down. It, it, you know, at least get the line to gain. It looked like. And it was fourth down. There was a player injury as well. I mean, that's why they didn't measure. I don't know. But um, Do they run the rollout with Donovan Smith. And here's the thing, guys. Like, they run everything from the gun. I don't – I can't remember if I've seen – I've actually seen a good deal of Houston this year. I mean, I cover the league, obviously. I've seen a pretty decent amount of Houston this year. I don't know if I've seen them run a play under center. And this is something, too, that we talk about a whole lot. Like, it – you need to have some kind of package where it's under center, right? And if you can't shove that thing a yard forward, like, you know, you, I mean, uh, fair play to the team for stopping you. But like, everybody needs to have the tush push. Everybody needs to have some version. And Donovan's not a huge guy, but he's a long guy, right? And that was a short yard they had. To, I mean, that should have been inches they had to get there. And so the rollout, like, it's just, it's difficult because Donovan's not an excellent runner either. He can run. He's not an excellent runner, though. And he rolls out, and so you're thinking, okay, like, do I throw? Do I pass? We kind of almost want the guy to banana peel so he can get some momentum towards the line and make a call on whether to run or pass. Uh, not saying Donovan made the wrong one, but it just didn't love the play call there from Dana Holger. I think it's all fair to say that. But Texas takes advantage of a bad spot and a bad play call to get out of there. Quinn Ewers, workman performance. Jonathan Brooks, workman performance. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point in time that, look, like, um, Sark, Sark is really smart with the script at the beginning of the game. I do think in the middle of the game, they are really Jonathan Brooks reliant, right? Yesterday, he has 28 touches on the day. 22 for 99, longest rush of the day was 15 yards. Baxter, same thing, 6 for 42. His longest rush was 16. So Houston does a good job of keeping everything ahead of them. Really, the one bomb that Texas hit was the ball on the sideline that Xavier Worthy caught for a touchdown. 
I thought most of the day, though, like Texas, uh, Houston's defense did a really good job. Uh, they did a very good job, generally speaking, in this game. You look at the, the numbers, especially that second half. They only gave up 10 points in that game. Texas has 360 yards total offense. They were three for 12 on third down. Uh, and they were the more penalized team as well, too. The big thing, though, in the end of the day was two turnovers, a fumble and a pick. The cleaner team in the end in terms of the turnover advantage won this game. And so that is not something that we've always seen from Texas. I will applaud them for taking care of business. They cannot repeat an effort like that. Uh, I would argue that at TCU, like if, if, that, if TCU is having a good night, which we don't know when good and bad TCU will show up, but if TCU is having a good night, that thing could get sideways on, you know, not sideways in a like blowout, but like that could be a tough night for them. Um, K-State at home. You know, we've seen teams go to, to uh, DKR and, and beat them there before. So that is in the cards. That is very possible. The thing is for them now, they're out of buys and they were banged up a little bit that, in that game. We saw the hit David Aguebu for Houston gets banged up as well. And uh, Quinn Ewers goes out of the game. And look, Malik Murphy, like we'll see what happens this week. I would, I would be shocked, man. I'd be shocked if we saw Ewers. Ewers came out of that game, had a sling on. And so next week, it's BYU and K-State coming to town. Should they be able to beat K-State or BYU rather with a backup? Yes. I don't know if they can do that against K-State. I think we should have a serious conversation about that game. When it happens, we have to get there first. But yikes, folks. Yikes, if that's the if that's the case, because Quinn Ewers, as as uh, you might want to say, like, hey, is, where's the ceiling for him? He has been very good at managing games for Texas so far this season. I think we have to hand him that. All right, let's go to Oklahoma and UCF. So I think this game was very, very telling for a few reasons, right? We come into this game final score, by the way, 31-29. If you didn't hear before, 31-24, Houston uh, loses to Texas. 48-34 was Oklahoma State over West Virginia, and 41-3 was K-State over TCU. Still have to get to Baylor and Cincy, as well as BYU and Texas Tech. Um, let's go with Oklahoma and UCF. So the uh, 31-29 here, OU gets to 7-0, 4-0 in the Big 12. Uh, UCF now 3-4 overall, 0-4 in the league. The question about this game coming in was... Um, could Oklahoma run the football to the same effect that other teams have against UCF? UCF's biggest knock is how bad their run defense has been this year. It's been really bad. Uh, Oklahoma was not able to do that. And Oklahoma's rushing offense, generally speaking, guys, has not been that effective this year. It's, it's down the line. Like You can say, well, they had a really good game rushing the football against Texas. Yeah, that was a weird back-and-forth game, and a lot of the running – was done by Dylan Gabriel. It was some of it was designed, yes, but some of it was not designed. And he played an outstanding football game. And he, he was pretty good in this game, too. But they did not run the ball to the same effect that they did in that game against Texas. And credit UCF for that as well. But they ran 46 carries, 189, 4.1 yards per carry, one touchdown. Like they attempted to. Dylan Gabriel, 10 carries, Gavin Sawchuck, 10 carries. Marcus Major 10 carries. And actually, those guys had decent games. They, they did, they, but the longest rush they hit uh, yesterday was 30 yards, right? <clears throat> so I guess the good news is they were getting decent chunks of yardage when they ran, uh, but they were not hitting home run balls, right? So there's a little bit of that in there too. I will say this. They, they got two scores late in the game when they needed them, 
right? You, you go back late in the game and you go to the fourth quarter. Uh, their last two drives, nine for 65 and 215 touchdown to make it 24-23. They force a punt, nine for 80, 417 touchdown to put yourself up 31-23. The bad thing for them is UCF marched that thing right down the field on them. It did not take them very long to do it either, right? So Oklahoma's defense is good. It is much improved over last year's defense. Um, there are still holes. I will say this about UCF. UCF, this is the one reason why I didn't think Timmy McLean was a massive drop-off. I think maybe in terms of belief, like John Rice Plumley is a little bit better, but like he's not, he's just not this gifted passer. He's not, right? The one thing UCF has though, and Gus has done a good job of maintaining these guys and getting, you know, getting them on campus and you know, transfers, whatever, and, and good recruits. Like they've got power five level legitimate dudes playing at the skill positions for them. Right. When you watch UCF play, the guys they have making plays on offense are Jay Harvey, Xavier Townsend, Javon Baker, and it's mostly Baker and Harvey. Those are legit dudes. Like Baker yesterday had a workman 23 for 101, but did hit the big 54 yarder. Uh, Javon Baker, eight for 134 and two scores, including 89 yard touchdown as well, too. Like these are legitimate dudes. Right. And that's why, you know, I know this year is not going well for UCF. We talk about them in the future. That's why I think everybody's pretty hopeful, but they can put the fear of God into you. Gus, I, I mean, I, I was watching the game, guys, and I was saying to myself, you know, I was, I was between the Baylor game and the Cincinnati game. Baylor game ends, and I flip over and I, you know, to give my full attention to the end of the UCF game. And they score, and I'm watching with some friends. We just, you know, I watched the Arkansas game as well, too. And I said, watch, Gus is going to dial up some, you, you know, you know what here, some shit, as we say. They did the double pass, a double pass on a two-point conversion. Like, I'm not sure if they were banging this thing out in practice and it kept working over and over and over again, but oh my God. I mean, that was just the most Gus Malzahn thing ever, right? I mean, them to go down the field and score, right? They were dialing up, executing pretty well. And then just to come up short there and the things that were bad for them, I know the end of the half, a lot of folks can complain about what happened there, but you know, it, you didn't feel it didn't feel like you gave yourself a chance with that play call. You you didn't it didn't feel like you gave yourself a chance with that play call. Um, and look in a game where there are missed field goals, and you know you, you actually you know I wouldn't say like Oklahoma was really kept down, but like you were right there with them. I mean, 442 yards of offense. You know, you had 400 as well. Like you were right there with them, right? You you were right there in terms of penalties, turnover battle. Everything was right there. And it just, it's tough. You know, it's really tough to see them go down like that because they, they were in a good position, guys. Like this, this was not a, I always felt pretty good about OU winning, but they didn't run and hide with it, right? And, and UCF made them work for it. And I don't know if this version of OU, you don't have to be the version to beat Texas every single game, but guys, next, next three weeks, here's what's coming up for them, next four weeks, all right? If you want, if you want to talk about an undefeated Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma does need to be undefeated because think about that non-conference. They lost that game against Georgia and had to replace it with SMU. So their non-conference schedule was Arkansas State without the Jalen Rayner, the new quarterback, SMU, and then at Tulsa. Um, they need to run this thing, I think, in my opinion, to make a big to make a college football playoff at Kansas, 11 a.m. next week, and I know it's 11 a.m. whatever, but like that's going to be a tough environment. At Oklahoma State the following week, home for West Virginia, at BYU, and then TCU's the last game on a Friday. We'll see where TCU is at that point in time. But um, they have to be better than they were this week if they want to do it. 
And we'll see where Jalen Daniels is next week, right? We'll see what that situation is, but Bean can put the fear of God into you. Um, but Dylan Gabriel's playing his ass off, and this team's winning football games, and they already have more wins than they had last year. And so uh, Brent Venables, if you want to talk about like progress, um, and sometimes progress being more of a straight line, um, you know, I think it'd be more natural progression. But like in terms of wins, they're, they're right where they need to be. And, and look, this this program relative to schedule is right where they should be. You know, they they were uh, they were going the one game they were dogs in this year was the uh, Texas game, and that game they're actually down. You know, three in the end they would have covered anyway. But like they were they were right there against Texas in the end they win the game, right? So like this program is elevated for sure this year. Have to give them that. Are going long today, but you know what? It's a Sunday. We had six games yesterday, so we have to you know go through all this stuff. BYU, a big 27-14 victory. And so uh, over Texas Tech. Texas Tech now three and five in uh, overall, two and three in conference play. BYU is five and two overall, two and two in conference play. Here's what has to be said about the BYU Cougars, right? This is the first win for them over a remaining Big 12 member. Huge, huge for BYU to get a win like that, all right? Credit to them. It's the second by, and also guys, you can think about Houston, man. Houston has the Hail Mary and then the Texas game back-to-back. Wow, they're playing some, they're playing some fun, exciting ones uh, at Houston right now. Houston, obviously, the first new Big 12 team to get a win against an old Big 12 team with their win over West Virginia. You now have BYU joining the party, and uh, Jake Strong was the man at quarterback in this game. Um, another three interception night for him. I think he had three last week. He has three this week. And the one thing about BYU we've talked about is the numbers will tell you that they have been outplayed in most of their games. The yardage here will tell you the same. That is because Texas Tech was chasing the game, right? BYU at home mounts a 14-point lead in the early going of this game, right? And the big thing is, you know, on a night where uh, BYU has... 277 yards of total offense, 75 of those came on the first drive. This is how things worked out for BYU to start the game. Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Big drive from Texas Tech, but they get a stop, BYU does, on their four-yard line, all right? Uh, and then they, uh, and, and I think it was a fumble, ends up being a fumble, uh, but it's recovered, uh, Jake Strong there. They punt, but they get out of their own end zone, they punt. Then there's a big problem on an exchange for Texas Tech and BYU falls on it and able to cash into the end zone and get a touchdown. It's 14. And at that point, you've got a backup, third, not backup, third string quarterback on the road. And look, he did rally. Did a nice four-play, 66-yard drive. But, but after that, BYU immediately scores a touchdown and they end the half back-to-back drives where they get interceptions. Right. So at that point, you're already at 24 to seven going into halftime. And that is the one thing about BYU is as much as they have been outplayed, like this game, they were not outplayed. The numbers might say something different, but they basically put Texas Tech in a negative game state where, where Tech had to chase the game. Right. Uh, and, and that that was disaster for Tech. And so for BYU, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I hope this is the case. Uh, not one of the better teams they're going to put forward in this league. Right. Uh, I think out of the quarterbacks they've had in recent memory, Keaton Slovis is probably like Jerry talk about Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson and guys of that nature. He is not one of the better ones. This offensive line is not excellent. 
Uh, LJ Martin, though, did have a nice day. They ran the ball at five yards of pops. That was nice. But their passing game is not dynamic. They really don't have a lot of outstanding wide receivers. Like Darius Lassiter is a guy who came over from Eastern Michigan is having a nice season, but he's not some awesome wide receiver. Um, Isaac Rex has been there for a long time, right? And he's got one more year if he wants another year. I believe he's still technically what a junior. Uh, yeah, and I think he redshirted 19 COVID year in 20. That was his 12 touchdown season. Um, and 21, 22, and 23. So like he's got, I believe, one more year left for him. So we'll see what happens. I, I bet he probably goes to the league. But they've got some pieces, but it just does not seem like, especially on defense, like this group is really awesome. They're opportunistic. They are. But um, they, they really do cash in. Like I think that Arkansas game is a great example of them cashing in. So I will say this. like BYU is doing a really good job of taking the wins where they can get them. And that's what good football teams do. The, I mean, sometimes if you're not good, it, you need to be opportunistic. And I'm not going to say it's like not a skill, but, you know, um, like Cincinnati. Like Cincinnati was pretty much even with them a lot of that game. And uh, they got down to the red zone and, and BYU's defense. I'd love to see the red zone turnover ratio for, rate for them because they do seem to force a lot of them. Then they were able to play TCU and like a dog walked. And then Kansas game, you know, it was pretty close, but KU ends up being better, which was kind of what you, you felt watching the game. So BYU gets to five and two. They're one win away from a bowl. And as we're seeing right now with the other new Big 12 members, guys, that is a really good accomplishment. Right now, Cincinnati's 0-4 in the league and 2-5 and overall. Right now, UCF is 0-4 in the league and 3-4 and overall. Houston is 1-3 in the league and 3-4 and overall. You count all those up, the other schools besides BYU, and right now you get a whopping 1-11 for those three schools. So for BYU to be at 2-2, two and two, and you know I, I think UCF, Houston, and uh, Cincinnati will find it difficult to reach a bowl game, it's nice to see BYU is right there in striking distance. The schedule for them is really challenging the rest of the way. These games are not easy. They've got Texas next week, 2.30 on ABC. They've got West Virginia on the road in uh, in two weeks as well. Then they've got Iowa State, Oklahoma at home. They go to Stillwater. The one game you think they might be favored in, and you never know. Like They were not favorites last night. I thought the wrong team was favored last night. Um, but Iowa State at home is the one you look like, you, you know, you say, all right, this is the most winnable game that we have left. That's really challenging. That's really, really hard for them. They're playing two teams in Texas and OU that are a lot more talented. They're playing better coach team, better, awesome coaches, I should say. Uh, the rest of the way in the West Virginia game on the road is, you know, could be tough. So I think they will go bowling. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but this is when they had to have to get there and they do. Speaking of had to have it, uh, the battle of the bottom last game we'll hit on here, Baylor and Cincinnati 32, 29 Baylor tried to give this thing away, but they were unable to. So I guess they'll take the win and move on three and four overall two and two in conference Cincinnati's two and five overall zero and four in conference. Look guys, if they keep giving me points and they keep giving me points against Emory Jones, I, I am obligated as an American, um, as a Big 12 fan, as a football better, I'm obligated to take that. Uh, and they keep doing it. And look, the pit game, I was on the wrong side of it. But the rest of the games this year, I have been on the right side of it. I bet against them in the Oklahoma game. I bet against them in the BYU game. I bet against them in the Iowa State game. I bet against them in the Baylor game. All right. In the Oklahoma game, I mean, they, it was I ended up being a push 13 and a half, 14. So uh, I think I had one bet that covered and one that didn't. Uh, you know, it's besides the point. Um, I, I believe I had one. F 
uh, was it 14? I guess it was, yeah, 14. Uh, so it was a push, right? So you're making money if you're betting against uh, Cincinnati a lot of the time, especially if they're going to favor them. I mean, I, I just don't know what we're doing. It's a bad football team with a bad quarterback that they don't execute at a super high level. Um, and you, you never feel like, you know, like, like yesterday, like, okay, you might say, Hey, they're a better, better team for large swaths of the game. Yeah. But like in close games, you don't, do you trust them? And they're not winning close tight football games. They're in for 288 yards yesterday. Guys, they had two backs at one point of the game that were both averaging eight plus yards of carry. And they were down two scores against Baylor who could not run the ball at all. And like, honestly, like it's, it was more, it's a more even matchup personnel wise. than we should, it should be. And Blake Shapin was not amazing, but I felt like every single time they need a third and long, they get one. Baylor ran the ball for 2.9, 2.9 yards, a carry. Uh, I will say Baylor's skill players showed up like big production from Monterey Baldwin, big, or, you know, consistent, I would say production there. Uh, Keytron Jackson jr. Had a massive game. That's a guy that I think when they got him coming in there, the transfer, um, uh, from Arkansas, they had a lot of high hopes for how it would go. And it's been up and down, but, uh, you know, I, I think especially last few weeks it's been up and down. I'm not sure if he's dealing with an injury, but five for 130 is the best game he has had. I think not just here, but yeah, in his college career, unless he had one at Arkansas last year. Yeah. So it's the most receiving yards he's had in a college game in his career. So good for him. Six, three, two, eight. Uh, nice to see the Texas kid get the job done. Nice to see Baylor get the job done. You know, they try to give this thing away. It's going to be a fist fight for them to make a bowl game. They go home next week, next two weeks, Iowa State and Houston. If they can get back-to-back victories in these games, it's going to be hard to do. But then you have a situation where you've got K-State at TCU, both those games on the road, and then West Virginia, you get to play them at home. So bowl game, not out of the conversation. It's going to be tough, though. It's going to be tough. All right, folks, long show, but there was a lot to get to in the world of the Big 12. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the NWPods365 at Josh Neighbors underscore. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next time.